Hi, this is Rachel on Recovery. We've got David Pittman here today. He's going to tell us a little bit about himself, and he's going to talk about church shootings and how they prepare for church shootings, but they don't prepare or equip churches for situations of clergy abuse or childhood sexual abuse. Question. <laughs> so, I'll, so if, you, if you want me to start, I can go ahead and start. I'm David Pittman. I'm the director of Together We Heal. And I am part of the child safeguarding team. And now it's, well, it's morphed to safeguarding. We've just changed the title to safeguarding at Grace. Because it's not just about child safeguarding. It's, um, we handle um, not just sexual abuse, but spiritual abuse, intimate partner violence, um, physical property, you know, the, the, the entire, covering the entire spectrum of the church. Um, uh, so, so it, it, it handles all of that. And with Together We Heal, we deal directly with survivors of childhood sexual abuse specifically um, and helping the families navigate the steps of what to do, as well as the adult survivors on um, how to heal, um, how, how to just cope day to day. And just helping helping them out, offering them guidance and support. So that's me, and that's that's what we do. Okay, um, let's talk about this. Um, tell us about this new article. Give us like a a layover of or a review. I've been. It, it's not a completed one yet, and I've been working on it for a for actually for a few weeks. It's, it's summertime, so we we uh, as like most summer times, there's a lot of. Uh, we have a lot of visitors coming to see us in Florida, a lot of family and friends. And so my writing and work, that side of the of the work hasn't been as much because we've had so many guests, which is great. And then, matter of fact, in 10 days, we go to see our first grandchild in California. And I'm really excited about that. So I had to give a plug for little Asher. <laughs> um, but uh, the the work on the church side of things, right? All the work that we do all in church settings and religious environments, I've noticed a trend um, with all of these mass shootings that are occurring across the country. Um, churches are signing up left and right, seemingly for active shooter drills. And it reminded me something actually from my childhood when I was growing up, because where we lived, we had a lot of tornado activity through the spring and early parts of the summer. And so at school during the, the first or during the second and third quarters, we would have a lot of tornado drills, you know, an alarm would sound. And depending on where you were at the school, you'd either grab a book and put it over your head, get under your desk, uh, make yourself small into the corner of a hallway, or if you were outside getting in a ditch to lay down anything that you could do to protect ourselves from a potential tornado, right? And we also did fire drills, right? And all of these things, they're good, and they we needed to practice them in case the real thing ever happened. The school system, you know, they wanted to give us the best opportunity to survive one of these disasters. And to protect ourselves, they were trying to best protect us. And as I said, all these are good things. And so I... I, I think I was, uh, that's what made me connect that to what I'm seeing now with the active shooter drills. Um, and of course, we, with this just, and I hate to even use the word because it is very descriptive, with this onslaught of mass shootings um, where we seemingly have 
I think the average is more than one a day. Um, but there's this wave of companies that have popped up online offering active shooter drills. Um, and and they've, they've seemed to target them at churches. And churches are signing up to, to pay for them. And, you know, let me take one more, one step back on this. Before we begin digging into this, I want to make this crystal clear. I do think churches should do everything in their power to better protect their parishioners in their care. Anything and everything. And that includes active shooter drills. But my question about all of this is that why does it seem the churches are so easily moved, just, you know, very quickly to pay for one thing and not for another, to, to focus attention on one thing more than another, especially when one of those things happens at such a much lower rate than the other one does. Again, do not, I do not want this to be misinterpreted or misconstrued or skewed in any way that is I do think churches should do all of these things, but that's not what I'm seeing happening, right? Over the last, since Columbine in 1999, do you have a, can you just, if you didn't know, could you take a guess at how many church shootings there have been in 24 years? If you didn't know, just random guess. I mean, I think if we've seen a couple on the news over the over the years, um, I think there's one in South Carolina, um, you know. And so the exact number is 23. That's 23 church shootings in 24 years. I mean, we have because of the time constraints. I'm not gonna, but I can see. I've got a list right here that I can look at them. You've got one in 99. One in 2001, one in 2002, same in uh, three. There's two in 05. Uh, I'm just kind of you skipping through. You had three in 07, one in 08, one in 09, none in 10 or 11, and so on down the list. And then there was this, of course, in 2020 with um, with COVID. There was nothing. You know, everybody was was sheltered in 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 uh, uh, 21. There were none. And then in 22, there were four. Right. So we had those four. And, and of course, it's not just it's not just associated with Protestant churches. Right. Because those those ran the gamut from Baptist churches in Texas to a Catholic church in New York, AME church in Georgia. I mean, there was no um, it wasn't concentrated at any denomination. And of course, there was the Jewish synagogue, the Sikh temple, the Amish school. This year in March, the the school in Nashville. Um, so those were religious affiliated, right? Uh, um, and so it happens, right? So we have these things. Yeah. But what's but what is occurring more often? When we, and we know this about sexual abuse, right? Yes. We. And and can I? You can just pop out random, you know, or, or not random, but you can you, you can just get a, a random gathering of data if you just Google. All right, how many how many sexual abuse cases? Well, it depends on which denomination you're looking at. Um, but according to the Christian Science Monitor News, 
and this, this was just as of 2002, the pace of child abuse allegations against American churches averaged 70 a week. And, the, and again, that was from 2002. So do you think we have more or less than that? You know, it, <laughs> so you go from one, one thing that you're trying to prevent that happens at a rate of one a year and another thing that's occurring at over 70 times a week. So again, where should you, where should you, if, if you had to take a pick, what would you focus time and energy and resources with? Well, it's still not going towards child, you know, the child abuse prevention. Oh. Because even, even if you look at that number, that's the number of the 70 a week and who knows what it's at now. That's just the documented cases, hundreds to thousands more go undocumented because the, the numbers do not lie. One in four girls, one in six boys will be sexually abused by their 18th birthday. And that goes across all socioeconomic, you know, it's rural, urban, white, black. Serial sexual predators exist in all areas and they prey on all. That's my point. Exactly. And so, so all of this leads me to the question of how much, so again, because this is in the, the, the setting in which I work on a daily basis is in, in religious settings. So how much time, money, energy, resources is spent on child safeguarding versus how much time, money, energy, resources is spent on like physical, actual church property, you know, do, and, and so we'll go to the, consider those things like the active shooter drills, the arm, you see that now armed, not just volunteers walking the property to prevent car break-ins or church property theft and things like that. But you actually have armed parishioners, and they do trainings for that. Um, video surveillance at churches, and all—I mean, they talk about a lot of cost with that. The software, the hardware, the monitoring services, the monthly fees, um, and again, so so we're, I we we hear these things and we see these things, and we're often told by churches, well, because of these things, we can't afford sexual abuse or child safeguarding trainings or safeguarding trainings of other kinds. Um, and again, if you, if you, like I said earlier, if you Google active shooter training, man, you're just going to see it just pop hundreds and hundreds of companies just ready, willing, and able. Um, whereas if you Google sexual abuse training, you tend to find one of two things. Um, a lot that are, well, let's just say less than trauma-informed that are almost, that are usually and mostly tied to insurance companies who are offering this as a way to protect the institution, the organization, not really so much for the protection of the individuals. And on the other hand, you've got this smaller group of trauma-informed organizations, most of which we know, we know each other because it's the same handful of people trying to protect the vulnerable in religious settings, school, youth sports programs, camps, all of those things. So you have a few working hard to protect the many, and you have these many and the conglomerate working on protecting.
look in all cases the powerful few. Well, it's a little bit of. A... I mean, since I started this podcast, there's been a lot of overlap. I'm like, oh, we're all in the same little community. Oh, uh, I mean, Zero Peace Project, uh, Grace, uh, Together We Heal. Exactly. You know, there's just so many. We've had one of the one of the founding members of Zero Abuse come on board with us at Grace and and do some work on the investigative side. And exactly that's exactly my point. You know, the ones that are that are trauma informed and whose focus is victim and survivor centric, right? We're that that's our focus on helping the individual, not protecting an institution. We do generally know each other and have relationships with one another and. You know, you can you, you can always say, "Hey, well, do you, have you worked with them before?" And you, you know, and you can pretty much name a few of the folk. Um, and I'm grateful that because when we started together, we heal. You know, um, 2011. That was the reason why we started it because I couldn't find what I was looking for to find some help in connecting with trauma informed therapists for for survivors of sexual abuse. Um, and so we said, well, well, let's just try to start finding people and connecting them. Um, and, uh, let's see, I was trying, um, at the time, and you, you can even have more now, but like you go to courage 365, what Ashley and Will have done, being able to have these peer group, peer support groups, um, that snap had started decades before that's, that was the first organization that had offered any sort of support for peer support for survivors. Um, and to me, that's one of the greatest ways to do it, um, is to be able to sit in a room or sit, you know, as we do nowadays, just like you and I are doing with these zoom calls and connecting calls, um, being able to hear your story in someone else's voice and know that you're not alone in that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of been amazing. I mean, I've been doing all this research. And, yeah, it's, I mean, there's a, I think there's a lot more out there that, but it's not talked about, and it's hard to find sometimes. Um, there's Open Heart Ministries um, that's uh, co-founded with the Allender Center. Um, and I don't, and then uh, Diane Lindbergh, she's got um, a bunch of, resources and information diane's on our board at grace yep love diane like i got to hear her speak at um the local at covenant uh covenant uh seminary so um no it's been that circle starts to get real small real quick and there might be a couple and and that's kind of what that was really my comparison of of what's available for something that protects the institution there are a plethora of and what protects the individual that there's just a rare few and and so and i, and I know we kind of <laughs> we, we do this and that's good yeah we, we we're touching all the other topics that are important within this this issue and that's why i just wanted to kind of use the active shooter drill versus training for safeguarding of children as as a as a compare and contrast of of why is there this focus here and and not so much on the other 
And, and obviously, I think there's some psychology behind that because it's very easy to say, look, there's a bad guy with a gun. He's not like us because none of us would ever do something so heinous. And in sexual abuse training and, and, and safeguarding training, it forces us to examine and reveal the bad guy, quote unquote, that is in our midst, that is in our family, that can be in our very home. And that's not work that most people want to do. We're, you know, we're humans. We, we love the path of least resistance. You know, because uh, you think of an active shooter drill, it's like the old fire drill. You stop, drop, and roll. Active shooter drills are very, very, it's the same thing. It's very simple, easy, straightforward. Abuse training is about nuance, paying attention to details, challenging work, and... I'm a human. I'm, you know, you, you've used the word lazy. I don't want to do something that is hard. And throw in something, it just, just is, here's the real kind of gross part of it. There's a cost benefit, cost analysis, right? Active shooter drills don't really cost that much money or time. And abuse training, safeguarding training, it's not just about the time that you spend on. It means always being on guard. You can even open up yourself, your church, not yourself necessarily, but the church by doing this to liability issues. And God knows, <laughs> pun intended, most churches tend to think in terms of risk management versus child protection. And that's the true tragedy of all of this. Well, they run it like a business and not a church. And and so that that's why the questions that I think all of us need to ask ourselves about the church we attend, and this is real, real easy. What type of safety training does your church offer? Who provides the training? Look into them. Are they insurance backed are the, or are they trauma informed? Is the training for the benefit of the church as an organization, or is it for the benefit of the parishioner? Is it about risk management, or is it about child protection and parishioner protection? Yes. Uh, and the other question I had for you, um, does Grace or uh, Together We Heal, do they have procedures in place for noticing like um, symptoms of sex trafficking as well with children? Well, in, in, in the things that we do, that is a, what you would consider a natural addition. If you are, if you go through like the safeguarding training with grace, you, you by definition will be paying attention to anything that is out of the norm. So whether it is one individual preying on one or many children or an individual incorporating that into others, you're still going to be noticing the same things. And that, and as we, as we tell every single person, pay attention to that little voice. Um, so many times particularly in the church setting, in a religious environment, the last thing you, you want to believe is that someone that you believe you know so well, 
someone that your child knows, trusts, and loves could ever harm them. But 90 to 95% of all child sexual abuse happens at the hands of someone that they know, someone they trust, someone they love. It's not a stranger that's doing this to them. It's somebody they know. And so if you are paying attention to those things, if you've been taught some things to be aware of, it will become part of your second nature of noticing them. And here, you know, here's another real simple question that you can ask yourself of the church that you belong. Ask your church, do they have a written child safeguarding policy? Do they have a written safeguarding policy of any kind? Because most churches don't. Oh, well, you know, we have the two adult rule. Well, that's, that's not enough. <laughs> you know, or we have them sign in. You need to have a written detailed policy that all parishioners know, that they understand, that they know here's how to report a belief of abuse. Yeah. Well, and the other thing people don't realize, I mean, even 50% of sex traffickers go to church. So they're, you know, and, you know, in the United States, we own like 80, 90% of sex trafficking. So I think that is also into play. Uh, you know, that's, you know, so, that, so that's a combination of childhood sexual abuse as well. Well, of course, if they're being trafficked and they're being viewed. So yeah. that's why I said it, it, would, it would go, it goes hand in hand with one. You, you, you are not discounting. If you do, as an example, the, the, the grace training, you are not, not getting information about trafficking. You, it's the thing, they go hand in hand. Well, and I think now that the movie Sound of Freedom is out, I think at least there's more talk about it. I don't know if we'll actually get any movement. Well, and, and I just, I, I want to throw in, I'm, I'm, it's always good when awareness is raised, um, but I don't believe in in vigilante acts. I believe that as it, just as we teach the churches where we go, if you have a belief that something is occurring, the first thing you do is not to tell your church. The first thing you do is to tell law enforcement. You make a report. Let professionals do their job. Yes. And the police are getting a little more training in that than they used to. Oh, yeah. Much more. Much more. Um, there was a time when I didn't, when I wouldn't have been very um, hopeful of a report going anywhere. Um, but, and, and actually what we, we, we say is not just tell police, but um, and and the, it's called something a little different in every jurisdiction, but it it's often called uh, the Department of you know Children and Family Services, and everybody's got a different name for it. But but contact both of those, both the local law enforcement and Department of Children and Family Services, because by doing that, then you give a, a better hope that nobody falls through the cracks. By just notifying one or the other, mistakes can happen. 
So if you do both, then you have a better chance of protecting the child. Yes. Okay. Um, I think, is there anything else you would like to add? No, I appreciate you giving me the uh, opportunity to speak with you today and, and to, uh, hopefully to encourage everyone, ask your church, do we have a written safeguarding policy? And if not, then let's go to a legitimate trauma-informed care organization and have them teach us how to develop that, how to better protect our children, how to properly respond to both the victims and properly respond to the perpetrators. Yes, because that is not well taught or well understood. In churches, it's often too much about and this could go for hours, and I don't want to dive into it. I just want to say real briefly, too much emphasis on forgiveness and not enough on repentance. And so um, the only way to be forgiven is to be accountable for sin and repentant of it. And most times, people in church settings skip right to forgiveness without any accountability without any consequence for the actions of the crimes because remember we, we we have this nice euphemism called sexual abuse what it is is the rape of a child and the only way that the rape of a child can be found any measure of justice because it can never be taken care of that any measure of justice is for the perpetrator to be brought forth criminal for criminal charges yeah, well, because we both know the long-term long-term effects it has on people. It happened to us. It happened. It, ha it happens all the time, and it affects every aspect of people's lives. It hurts their relationships. It hurts their ability to earn income. It hurts them for the rest of their lives. And you know, and those are the ones that survive. Exactly. Absolutely. So. All right. On that note, thanks for listening. This is Rachel on Recovery. Tune in on your favorite social media platform or podcast platform. And always follow us on your favorite YouTube channel. And thanks for listening.